Who are the builders? Well, they go by a number of names. The strivers, the survivors, often referred to as the GI generation or the silent generation, the seniors among us. Tom Brokaw described them as the greatest generation in his book by the same title. Of course, some of the formative events in the lives of builders were World War I, and after that, the Roaring Twenties, and then, of course, the great stock market crash that led to the Great Depression. December 7th, 1941, the attack on Pearl Harbor set our nation on a path toward war. It was a day that was called a day that shall be, that shall live in infamy. World War II was really a double war, if you think about it, carried out on both the Pacific Theater and the European Theater. What an amazing challenge to our nation and that of our allies. The youngest of the builder generation were many of those who fought in the Korean War, many of whom were kind of forgotten about and went without recognition. But if you think about it, we would not have that great Winter Olympics in Pyeongchang, Korea today had it not been for the courage of those who served in the Korean War. It was a great generation and continues to be. Some of the major influences of the builders were the rural lifestyle that was predominant in our nation in those days. Radio, of course, was prominent. The automobile began to come out in mass production. Rationing during World War II was commonplace. Big band music was popular. The family, of course, was central. School and education was primary. And church was part and parcel of society and culture in those days. As we talk about these various generations and their characteristics, maybe a bit of a caution, we're using somewhat generalizations of a generation, and not every detail uh, applies to every individual who is within that generation, but generally speaking, the builder generation was a group of hardworking people. They are savers. They are frugal, more than likely because of their experience of coming out of the Depression. They are greatly patriotic, loyal, private, and cautious in their way of life. They're respectful, dependable, and stable, perhaps more intolerant than other generations, but very family-focused. When it comes to the religious factors of the builder generation, these are people that attend worship and Bible study. Though we need to say there are many in the builder generation today who are still unchurched. And this is still very much a people group who is a mission field that needs to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But those who are in the church have a strong sense of commitment to the church and its mission. They have a focus on missions including worldwide, global mission work. They are generous givers. They like structure within the church and within the worship service. They are loyal to their denomination, and most of them grew up in a more traditional church setting. I'd like to do something a little different this morning, and that I would like to invite 
one of our members who is a member of the Builder Generation to come forward here, Mr. Bill Johnson. Bill, would you please come forward? Bill agreed to be interviewed as a representative of the Builder Generation. And as Bill is coming up, I want to just acknowledge the fact that just uh, about a week ago, Bill celebrated his 93rd birthday. I think that's worth celebrating. Yes. Have a seat. Bill, I thank you so much for your willingness to uh, be interviewed here. A little bit about your generation. And I just have a few questions uh, that I appreciate your responses on. I understand, of course, you served in the military during World War II. Uh, tell us with which branch you served and when that was. Uh, I was in the U.S. Navy, uh, served between uh, July of, uh, uh, I mean, uh, June of 1943 and July of 1946. I was on a uh, carrier, the USS San Jacinto, the same carrier that President Bush flew off of. Not at the same time, though. Okay. All right. Thank you for your military service and for your courage in serving on our behalf. Um, I'm curious, how would you describe the general mood and mindset of the American people during those days in the 1940s? Well, I do remember that uh, there were a lot of women that had to go to work at that time because uh, so many men were in the service. It was a very patriotic time. It seemed that everyone wanted to help with the war effort. And uh, servicemen were treated very well. I recall uh, being eating in restaurants and uh, quite often having the meal bought for me. Wow. Okay. In current times, it seems that religion, and especially Christianity, is under attack. In the 1940s, how was religion viewed in American society? I recall that it was uh, rather strong. Uh, I think the fact that we were at war with both Germany and Japan probably had some effect on it. Uh, I do recall that we uh, seemed to have a lot of youth at that time, and I think that was because the parents encouraged their attendance. Okay, okay. As you think about your generation that Tom Brokaw called the greatest generation, what would you say was one of the greatest contributions that your generation gave the world? Well, I think that uh, Tom Brokaw said it, that uh, succeeding, we contribute, our con contribution was that we, uh, succeeding generations are free from foreign oppression so that they can make their own choices. And by your sacrifice, we enjoy the freedoms we enjoy today. Indeed, yeah. That's right. You know, Bill, you have seen a lot of change in your lifetime, I think it's fair to say. Uh, you're 93 years old, but you're still in the working world. You're running your own business still today. What strategies have you used to stay current and relevant in your business? Well, first of all, I had to become uh, computer literate. <laughs> And uh, then to learn to use the softwares that have been developed for our industry. And I think the greatest thing was to show empathy for my customers. Very good. Um, my last question is this. If you were sitting and talking with a group of current high school students today, what words of wisdom would you want to share with them? Well, number one, I think uh, show 
uh, respect for authority, both at home, school, and in world in general, to get as uh, much education as you can afford, and to become active in the church. Well, Bill, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. How about a hand of uh, thanks for Bill Johnson? We appreciate it. That is wonderful. Well, each week in this sermon series, as we look at each generation, we're also going to look at a Bible character, a character that we can learn lessons from, from that, from that person's uh, experience in life, and apply those thoughts to that week's generation as well as to all the generations. So today, we're taking a look at the character of Moses. Now, I don't mean to imply, Bill, that you're the same age as Moses, although how was it when he brought the Ten Commandments down? Bill's a good-hearted fellow. He knew I was going to do that joke. As we think about Moses in the Old Testament, he was a builder. He was called upon by God to, in essence, build a nation of people and lead them to the promised land. Moses became a great leader. But he got there by going through the school of hard knocks, which so many people in the builder generation did as well. He had a challenging life, but ultimately, Moses led the Israelites toward the land that God had promised to give his people. Moses lived to be 120 years old. Bill, what do you think about that? 120, well, I don't know. Yeah. You could take Moses' life and really divide it into three periods of 40 years each. In his first 40 years, you might say Moses was raised as royalty and he had it all. You remember how the story went. He was born during the time that the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. And you may recall that the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, ordered that the baby boys among the Hebrews be killed as soon as they were born. Well, Moses' parents hid him for about three months, but after a while they could no longer hide him. And so when his mother could no longer keep him hidden, this little Hebrew baby boy was put in a basket and placed among the reeds on the Nile River. And you remember that the Pharaoh's daughter found him and adopted him as her own and gave him the name Moses. So in his first 40 years, he was raised as royalty, and you might say he had it all. As he got older, though, there was this incident where he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. He got rather upset, and in his rashness, he killed that Egyptian man. Now realizing that his own life was at stake, he fled, that, fled Egypt and headed east. Now begins the second 40 years of his life. He lost everything that he had in Egypt, and he fled to the region of Midian. He met a man named Jethro and went to work for Jethro and ended up marrying one of Jethro's daughters. He had to work very hard for his father-in-law during those next 40 years of his life. You can well imagine Moses must have been asking, what is the purpose of my life anyway? I was in royalty. I'm far away from all of that now. I'm out here working, the, working with sheep and other animals. What is my life about? But God had a plan. 
God had a plan for Moses. And at the age of 80, get this, at the age of 80, Moses encountered God who spoke to him from a burning bush at Mount Sinai. And there from that bush, God called upon Moses to deliver his people out of slavery and to lead them to the land of Canaan, the land that God had promised to Abraham and his descendants. So now his third 40 years begins. At the age of 80, he gets his chief calling in life. And his chief calling was to follow God's lead. Now, you know, some of you who may be in your retirement years uh, may uh, take this whole idea and wonder how, how was he able to really do that? You know, he, he didn't really think about retiring from everything. God was simply redirecting his life. And I, I wonder if maybe that's a challenge for us too. Even those who may be retired, are you retiring from everything? Or is it possible that God may be redirecting you to using your God-given talents, abilities, and time to serve him in some way yet today? Well, Moses was redirected. And he became a powerful leader and prophet among the people. You recall how Moses went back to Egypt and confronted Pharaoh, asking that he allow the people to be set free from slavery. But of course, Pharaoh hardened his heart. God sent a series of plagues to try and convince Pharaoh to let the people go. And after each plague, he hardened his heart even more until finally it came to the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn, including the firstborn son of Pharaoh himself. When God went through the village where there were houses with the blood of the lamb on their door frames, he passed over those houses and they were spared. But where there was no blood of the lamb on the door frames, the firstborn was taken. And that convinced Pharaoh to let the people go. After that Passover event came the Exodus. Moses led the people out of Egypt. Then, of course, you remember the next part of the story. They come to the banks of the Red Sea, and now they're trapped. The Egyptian armies are closing in on them from behind. What are we going to do? They cry out. But Moses trusted the word of the Lord. As he lifted up his staff and parted the Red Sea, and the people crossed on dry ground to the other side safely, and as the Egyptian warriors entered into that dry ground, the waters came together and they were drowned, and God had, had brought about delivery. From there, they went on to Mount Sinai. There, Moses received God's commandments and passed them along to the people. There at Mount Sinai, God established his covenant with his people. He shaped and formed them into his people who who would be led by Moses toward the promised land. Moses led them out into the desert. Then you remember what happened. Time and time again, the people grumbled and complained. In fact, it got so bad, at one point, God even allowed poisonous snakes to come out into the land and bite people so that they would seek God's healing. God instructed Moses to construct a bronze serpent put it up on a pole and lift it up so that all who looked to that bronze serpent would be healed. Whoever looked to that bronze serpent in faith indicated they were trusting in God indeed. 
And if you think about it, that story points ultimately to Jesus who is lifted up on a cross. As St. John tells us in the third chapter of his gospel, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Moses died before the people entered the promised land. But he did something very important before he died. He passed the torch in two important ways. First, before he died, he gave the people instructions before they entered into the promised land. And those instructions are in the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. But the second thing he did is he passed the torch of leadership to Joshua, who would be the one of a next generation to lead them into the promised land. You see, in his last 40 years, Moses followed God's redirection of his life. He wasn't satisfied to merely retire. He followed God's direction, and he became that powerful leader and prophet. And probably the greatest thing that Moses did was that he kept pointing people to God. He called people to obey God's word and to trust in God's promises. You might say Moses tried to keep the main thing the main thing. What can we learn from the story of Moses? I think it has something to say to you builders concerning your mission in life. And and there's two things I want you to take away from this message this morning. I think you have a twofold mission as the builder generation. And this is the first one, to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing, you see, is God's plan of salvation in Jesus Christ, God's plan to deliver all of us out of slavery to sin all the way to the promised land of heaven. God's plan of salvation in Jesus Christ who died on a cross in your place and mine, who took on himself all of our sins and shames and regrets and willingly, innocent as he was, died in our place. Basically said, this is how much I love you. And then he rose from the dead on the third day to guarantee the salvation of all who have their trust in him. That is the main thing. And builder friends, we need to make the main thing, the main thing always. St. Paul says to the Corinthians in his first letter, chapter 2, for I resolved to to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is the main thing. Peter writes in his second letter, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. The challenge to the builders is to keep the main thing the main thing. But I also want you to understand that keeping the main thing the main thing also means having a proper understanding of the role of tradition in relationship to God's Word. Understand me. Traditions are good. Traditions are helpful when they assist us in passing along 
the truths of God and, and the basic principles that we want to convey. But we need to also remember that with every new generation, new traditions will and must arise because we need to be able to communicate this message of Jesus in a language that every generation can understand for themselves, take in, believe, and come to faith in Christ. And so it's important, builders, that we're going to need to distinguish between thus saith the Lord and human tradition. As valuable as tradition is, it must fall underneath what God says in His Word. We all, of all generations, should be able to say along with St. Paul, as he wrote to the Ephesians, now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The mission of you builders, first of all, keep the main thing, the main thing. And secondly, be leaders in passing on the faith. Be leaders in passing on the faith to the next generations. You know, we are enjoying Winter Olympics right now. Two years from now, the Summer Olympics will be in Tokyo, Japan. And one of the traditions of the Olympics is for the flaming torch to be passed from one runner to the next until finally it lights the Olympic flame. Builder generation, you need to be those who pass on the torch of faith to the next generation. It's a challenge for all of us to fulfill the words of Psalm 22, where the psalmist says, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, for he has done it. And our theme verse for this entire series, Joel chapter 1 verse 3, tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. Builders, you are the ones who need to help lead the other generations to the promised land of heaven. We have so much to learn from you. And we ask that you would be spiritual leaders and, if you will, cheerleaders of the next generations that follow. Keep the main thing the main thing and be leaders in passing on the faith. And to everyone hearing this message, whichever generation you represent, remember this, we're all in this together. We're about a common cause. And so let's learn from each other and work together for that greater purpose of leading people to follow Jesus. Next week, our focus is going to be on the baby boomer generation, those born from 1946 to 1964. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank and praise you for the builder generation among us, for those who so faithfully served our country and who have so faithfully served in your church. Lord, we pray that they would ever keep the main thing, the main thing, and that they would be committed to passing on the torch of faith to the generations that follow, that together we may carry out your cause of leading people to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
May the peace of God, which passes human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. At this time, we receive the offerings for the Lord's work. Would you place your name and other information in the black registration booklet in the pew and pass that to your neighbor, please?